The reading this morning is from Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Asotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. Do you want to um, have those Bible verses in front of you? Um, we're going to be looking at this um, kind of interesting uh, little account in a few minutes. Um, if you're new here with us uh, today, then you're coming halfway through a little teaching series we've been going through um, called Equipping the Saints. And uh, we've been looking specifically one a week at five catalytic gifts uh, that Jesus gives the church to build the church and uh, to, to enable the church to become healthy and strong and, uh, and uh, impactful in its, uh, in its local context. And this is important for us. Uh, this teaching for us to understand as a church, because we have a, a vision um, f- 
for the gospel transformation of our city and our nation. And so we want to uh, embrace all the gifts that God gives us uh, so that we can be effective for him in our city and in our nation. Uh, where does all this come from? Uh, by the way, it comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It should be up on the, um, on the screen. Um, Ephesians 4, we've been looking, we've been dipping in and out of this over the last few weeks. And uh, this particular line uh, he gave, that is Jesus, the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus. It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. These sort of five catalytic gifts. Um, and so first week we saw apostles, last week we were looking at prophets, and so this week we're focusing in on the evangelists. What is an evangelist is the first question we'll be asking. Secondly, then we'll be asking, well, who is an evangelist? And thirdly and finally, then how should we do evangelism at Foundation Church? So what is an evangelist? Who is an evangelist and how do we do it? Uh, quite simply, an evangelist can be described and defined as one who announces good news. That's where the, the term comes from, evangel, good news. Uh, but rather than getting into the technicalities of all this, we're going to be looking at this story here, this account uh, from Acts chapter 8. Um, so it's worth having those in front of you. Um, and we're tracking here this character called Philip, who's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. In Acts 21. So he's known uh, by this gift that we're looking at here, this role of being an evangelist. And he is someone who was particularly renowned for being very good, very fruitful, very powerful as an evangelist, a very powerful ministry. Who is Philip? Well, he was one of the seven leaders that the early church selected uh, in order to lead um, some of the mercy ministry and the administrative bits and pieces to make sure the poor were well fed, freeing up the apostles uh, for other things. And these seven leaders were selected by the church and uh, they were to be individuals who were full of the spirit and wisdom. Yes, we want that, don't we, for all of our leaders in church to be full of the spirit and wisdom. But these seven that were selected were particularly, uh, you know, full of spirit and wisdom. Amazing. And so what happened in the early days of the early church, uh, some persecution broke out in Jerusalem. As a result, many were scattered, many fled, including Philip. But with them, they took the good news of Jesus. And so if anything, the persecution was designed to try and crush the church. It had the exact opposite effect. It exploded, uh, scattering uh, the good news of Jesus far and wide. And so uh, we come to one of those episodes in Acts chapter 8. We're picking up at verse 26, and it says that the angel of the Lord uh, came to Philip and said, right, I want you to go to the desert road that leads down south to Gaza. And as the story goes on, we realize that, that, uh, that he obeys the angelic message. He meets this high official from, a very, at that time, a very exotic place, uh, Ethiopia. Um, and uh, this individual, who's known as a eunuch, he was like, the, I suppose, the, the chancellor, um, of, of, of the land looking after the, the treasury of the queen mother. Uh, he was uh, up in Jerusalem in order to worship. He was obviously interested in the God of Israel or, or, or perhaps even had a, a Jewish uh, faith himself. We're not entirely sure, but he was up in, in Jerusalem, it says, worshiping, and then he was on his way back, the long road back down to Ethiopia. And we're told that the, uh, the eunuch, this high official, um, was sitting in his chariot, 
you know, you don't, you don't drive, obviously, when you're at that sort of position of society, you're driven, and there would have been some security guards and some other, you know, like a whole entourage. It's a very dangerous thing to travel uh, down, these, um, down these, these old roads, uh, loads of bandits and, you know, all sorts of troublemakers down there. So he would have been going down with his security, but as he was going, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, one of the, one of the, the grand prophets of the Old Testament, and, and, and he was puzzling over this section that he was reading. Now he's reading, you know, we see that in verse 32, 33. This individual that Isaiah saw like a sheep, like a lamb. You know, he, he was, in his humiliation, justice was denied. And so this eunuch, this high official was, was reading this stuff and he's like, who is this? What is this all about? I can't understand who the prophet is talking about. And so in verse 35, we see Philip says, opens his mouth and tells him, tells the eunuch, the good news about Jesus. He does that because he's an evangelist. And we see as the story goes on that Philip, uh, sorry, the eunuch, the Ethiopian, responds immediately to the good news about Jesus. He says in verse 36, what can prevent me from being baptized? The answer is nothing. Uh, he was baptized by Philip. And then Philip disappeared off under the the influence of the Spirit to continue spreading the good news. The the Ethiopian believed and was baptized. Amen. So what is an evangelist? Well, we see in this story, an evangelist is somebody who tells the what, why, and how of the gospel of Jesus to fresh ears. People who've never heard of it before. The what, why, and how. Of Jesus. That's, that's what evangelism is. The what we, we could think of as the story about Jesus, you know, the facts, the, the events surrounding him, the, the, the standout moments. For example, the what about Jesus we could say is that Jesus was the chosen one of God. He, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose to life and he ascended to God. That is the, could be understood as the what of the gospel. But it's not just stating the facts and the, the timeline, so to speak. It's the why. Why did it happen? And we can see that in, even in these verses that the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah. You know, he was like a sheep, like a lamb. That instantly reminds us that this figure that Isaiah saw, that is Jesus, was a sacrifice, like a sheep or a lamb. It was a sacrifice for sins. You know, the Bible says that we're, we're sinful, we're rebellious, we've, in, in, in all different ways, we're very clever at this, we've turned away from God. And yet he, that is Jesus, did what we cannot do. He did it in our place so that we can be forgiven and that we can enjoy God, be restored to him. So the what is the story, the why is the reason, and the how is how we access the good news, why, how it becomes good news for us how we receive it. And some of the, uh, the main characters, I suppose, in the New Testament put it in slightly different language, but I've, I've listed a few up here on the screen. Peter says, you know, uh, how, how do we receive the good news? Peter says, repent and be baptized uh, to, his, to the crowd. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Paul says, repent, or sorry, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. This is the response, this is the How? You know, you receive the good news, the goodness of the good news by turning and trusting. And these are a variety of ways that it can be understood. We say, what he did was for me. That's how we're forgiven. 
That's how we are restored. That's how we're cleansed. Sometimes we use the term saved. You know, it's the catch-all phrase for everything that Jesus has done for us. That's what the apostles did. They went out and told this message to everyone who would listen. They spread it across the known world. It went out like wildfire. And as we've been thinking, even the enemies tried to suppress the good news. It went further out still. The good news when it was preached led to riots in some cities, but it radically transformed hearts and minds across the world. It changed households. It altered lifestyles. It revolutionized cities. It established new churches. It impacted the high in society, like governors and leaders. It impacted the very poorest and marginalized in society, especially them. The, those who were low were raised up. Those who were high were brought down. That's what happens when the gospel gets in. And what is the impact of the gospel going out, the impact of an evangelist? We see at the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word, you know, those who took in the gospel, this is were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's pretty straightforward. They were believed, they were baptized, and they were added, added to the church. They joined this local gathering of believers. And that's it, it's simple. It's so simple. Uh, to the extent where you sort of question, well, why aren't we doing it a bit more, if it's as simple as that? But hopefully, you can start to understand and start to see how this role, this gift of the evangelist, the one who goes out with the good news, how catalytic that is to the mission of God through the local church. So we've seen what is an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who announces the good news, the what, why, and how of the gospel. Let's, 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 let's move forward then a little bit and think, well, who is an evangelist? You know, what, what does an evangelist look like? Um, and again, let's, let's look at some of the features from this story, from this person of Philip um, that we've just been reading about. And I, I think one of, the, one of the first standout features that we see in Philip who's an evangelist, is that he was someone who was incredibly courageous, full of courage. He was intrepid. You know, he was instructed um, to go to the desert road. He had no idea what was going to happen, but he went anyway, similar to what Maxim was just praying over us. We, we, he's called by God and he goes. It's a very dangerous route, as I mentioned, uh, a real threat to life, a significant threat to life or violence or to your, um, you know, to your your material uh, worth that you're carrying with you. And yet he had the courage to go and say yes to God. He also had the courage, we see this in, uh, in verse 30, the courage to actually go up to the chariot and speak to the individual, the high official in the chariot. And don't forget, he would have been surrounded by security and, and uh, you know, they would have been ready for a threat or for an attack. So someone sort of suddenly appearing out of the desert to, to want to talk to the, uh, the Ethiopian you know, uh, chancellor um, risked getting a beat down, at the very least, uh, from security. But he ran over. He took a risk. He was courageous. We see an evangelist doesn't always see the hole. In fact, very rarely sees the hole, but they just go where they're called. And they believe that God will open up opportunities when they get there. I don't need to see the whole thing, Lord, but I, I will say yes to you, and I know that you'll open up doors when I arrive. That's what the evangelist says. They're courageous. Uh, the second standout feature, I think, from this is that an evangelist is open to the Spirit of God. And again, we see this sort of woven throughout the story here. 
Uh, first of all, we have this uh, angel that, that appears. We're not given any details about what it looked like or how it sounded or, or how the revelation came, but we have this angel who speaks to Philip and, and gives him instructions. Go, go to the desert road and await further instructions. And then we have in verse 29, um, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. And again, we've no idea how that came. Was it a word? Was it a, a vision? We don't know. But we know is the Holy Spirit instructing Philip to go and do this. And even in verse 39, it says the Spirit carried, after the baptism, the Spirit carried him away. Someone he, who's, who's just open, who's influenced, who's led, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can't get away from that. So an evangelist is someone, not only courageous, but someone who listens actively to the voice of God and is ready to go, ready to receive and ready to go. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've uh, received some kind of prompting from the Lord in whichever form, either, either a, just an in, internal sense that you have to be somewhere or go somewhere or speak to someone or text that person. And how many times have you done that and you said, yes, Lord, I'll do that, not knowing what lies behind that door. And you go through it and the individual that you interact with is like, yes, this is exactly what I needed right now. You, you have come uh, like a messenger of good news into my situation. Maybe you've had some experience like that. Um, that seems to be what's going on here um, with Philip. Courageous, open to the Spirit. And thirdly, an evangelist is someone who speaks the Bible's message. Where do we get that from? Well, uh, at the very least, we can see that in verses 32 and 33. We see uh, the Ethiopian uh, official reading Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And then it says in verse 35, Philip uh, opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. An evangelist is somebody who can speak the Bible's message. The gospel is God's good news about Jesus. It's God's message, and we get that from the Bible. Um. However, let me just uh, nuance that a little bit. Please do note that evangelism takes many different forms, and they're not always a Bible study. In this scenario, the man, the, the Ethiopian, was reading uh, Isaiah 53, and that was the starting place for Philip. And that's brilliant. Uh, we don't need to necessarily uh, be doing that, but we need, do need to make sure um, that it is the Bible's message that we're preaching. Um, whichever way we get to it. It does depend on the scenario, it depends on who you're talking to, their background, their knowledge, the context, and all these different things. But we make sure that the evangelist speaks the Bible's message. And so therefore, an evangelist or the evangelist has a solid grasp of the gospel and understanding of the gospel of Jesus. And they can start anywhere at any particular point and bring things to Jesus to explain the good news. Are you with me? Not really. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's all very well for Philip and for the Apostle Paul and for all these you know, great people in history. But the question maybe you're asking, I certainly am, is are all of us called to be evangelists? Certainly those who, um, who call themselves Christians, are we all called to be evangelists? Am I called to be an evangelist? Well, I think the answer is yes and no. Let me explain what I mean. Um, yes, 
Everybody who is a follower of Jesus is called to be an evangelist. Um, Jesus says uh, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, I think it's up on the screen. Yes. No. Yes. Go, therefore, Jesus, this is to his disciples, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These are the final words in Matthew's gospel, Jesus giving the charge to his church, to the apostles, go and make disciples of all nations. Evangelism is implicit within that. In order to make disciples, we have to share the good news. In order to share the good news, we have to evangelize. This is a work that all believers in Jesus are engaged in. And to be engaged in is the mission of the church. So yes, all of us are called to be evangelists. And, and I suppose I would back that up by asking another question. Well, why wouldn't you be? If, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, and you are who you think you are, as in a follower of him, why wouldn't you be sharing the good news? I mean, is the news not good? Or is it just an idea, an intellectually satisfying idea? But is it not good to your heart? Has your life not changed because of what Jesus has done for you? Has it transformed you? Have you been filled with what the Apostle Peter describes as joy unspeakable because of the gospel? Because if it has, then you will want to share that with those in your life. But many of us don't, do we? Um, even, Even those of us who on all accounts, seem to be good Christians, whatever that might be. We don't because often we fear rejection or we fear being mocked. Oh, it's like Christian. There, there they go again. Maybe we fear losing friends or losing favor at work. Some people are just looking at us weird afterwards and we can't cope with that thought, so we don't do it. And let's face it, for some of us, that is a real thing. That is a real threat. You know, um, some people uh, may risk being effectively thrown out of their families and denied job opportunities. That is a thing. But for the majority of us, it's probably not just like that. Often we don't share the good news because we have no zeal. The good news is not as good as we say it is. And so we keep it to ourselves. We prefer a sort of coldness of spirits instead. But let me address you if you call yourself a follower of, of Jesus. Don't you realize that when you came to Christ, you enlisted in his army? You signed up to join the mission, you know, to serve his mission. He deploys you. We, we, the church, we are a missionary people. We say here at Foundation Church, we are a community on mission. We do this together, but we go out together. Our mission is to teach and reflect the power of the gospel to the world around us. And so when you follow Jesus, when he saved you and you received that by faith, you enlisted on the mission of God. So yes, all Christians are called to be evangelists. But also, no, not every Christian is called to the kind of evangelism that we see here with Philip or 
the Ephesians 4. Because there are definitely some people uh, that Jesus has gifted uh, that are present in this church and in the local churches in general who have a special gifting for evangelism. Maybe you know, maybe you know someone like that. Um, so what we're talking about here is not a, not a different gift to the one that, you know, Jesus expects all of us to have, I suppose. But, but we're talking about degree. We're talking about, uh, strength. Some people just seem to be wired up, uh, with the ability and the anointing of God for the task of bringing the good news to those who do not have it yet. And they seem to be especially driven at bringing the gospel afresh. They seem to be stirred in their spirit more than many of us. And they are effective and they are fruitful when they go out and preach and share the good news of Jesus. When they do that, people tend to listen, they lean in, they sit up. Often this is what happens when someone who is sort of specially gifted at evangelism. Just to encourage you, it's not about the packaging. Uh, it's, not, it's not about how you look, or how you sound, or your background, or the way you speak. It's not that at all. It's the gifting of God. If you read any of the accounts of the 1859 Ulster Revival, um, the time when the Holy Spirit moved in power on this land in remarkable ways. I I am so encouraged uh, when I read it because previously dull and uninspiring preachers became electrifying during that time when the Holy Spirit came in power. People flocked to hear the gospel they, they filled the churches in, in this land. It, loads more churches had to be built to cope with the overflowing numbers of people who wanted to hear the gospel. Not only that, the, you know, Sunday services were no longer sufficient. Many churches across this province had to put on services every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Such was the hunger to hear the gospel. See, when the Spirit of God fell and anointed the church, it was like fire falling on dry wood. And so God can use anyone. He can, he can raise up even the most, you know, quote, ordinary people. When his fire falls, when the anointing comes, he can use you to do remarkable things. And so we're singing this morning and we're praying, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. In our day. So we've seen the, the what of evangelism. It's the, it's the, uh, uh, the what, why, and how of the gospel. We're seeing the, the you know, what are evangelists like? Uh, courageous, open to the spirit, preaching the, the biblical message. And finally then, I just want to try and uh, get some practical shape around this. How should we do evangelism here at Foundation Church? What should it look like for us? Whether you're the big E evangelist or the small E, you know, everybody called to do evangelism, here are some of the ways that I can work out here as a community on mission. And, and we'll, we'll divide it into two. There's come and see, and there's go and tell. Come and see evangelism, go and tell evangelism. And we want to do both. We need to do both here at Foundation. Come and see evangelism, first of all, is the sort of invitational bringing of those from outside the church into a particular thing that we're doing. It's something we do together as a church. And, and, and practically speaking, it's often a big event. It's sort of centralized evangelism, where the good news is heard by many all at once. Come and see. So, for example, in the past, even a foundation church, we have hosted, um, among other things, we have hosted the Watoto Children's Choir from Uganda. 
They put on a, a brilliant concert. They sing. Um, but yet they always uh, find a way to bring in the good news of Jesus and, and tell about how he has transformed their lives. And then they call for a response. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing evangelism. It's awesome. And so we had that a few years ago at our previous building over at Ashfield Girls School before COVID, before we were booted out. And uh, I think we, we put something like maybe 4,000 leaflets around the local area. Um, we were sort of launching into uh, Ashfield to use that as, as our um, church gatherings on Sundays as well. So we did that along with um, the choir all at the same time. Um, about 200, just under 250 people came that night to the concert, which is great. I think about five people responded to the gospel in some way or other, uh, just indicating their reception of the gospel. So that's one example of how we've done this in the past. Another example, the Alpha courses that we've run, even during lockdown, we were one of the first churches in Northern Ireland to run an online Alpha course. And we had people from the local area, some of us had uh, work colleagues uh, joining us online. And it was just a, a brilliant opportunity. And we've gone ahead and done another Alpha course you know, in person. Again, you know, uh, come and see, inviting, explaining the gospel, bringing people into a centralized Event. And there's loads more options that we can and should pursue as a church going forward, whether it's music concerts, justice events in partnership with International Justice Mission, or one of our mission partners, film nights followed by discussions, special Sunday services, mission weeks, we can bring in a, like a visiting evangelist, even Sunday church services are an opportunity for us to gather and say, come and see. And say, come and see events kind of function as a funnel or a big net. You know, and the idea is that we sort of establish relationships and show uh, that we're good neighbors, but these things must have a, a gospel content for it to be evangelism. And specifically, I think um, we should probably shoot for one or two per year as a church. It's a big event, uh, big, big effort to get it going, but, but a, potentially a big impact as well. So why don't we shoot for one or two come and see events every year? So come and see. The second way we do evangelism at Foundation Church is go and tell. Come and see is about we, what we do as a church. Go and tell is about what you do as you leave the building on a Sunday morning and what you do for the rest of the week. Um, particularly if you're a member here at Foundation Church Belfast, we expect one another to be sharing the good news of Jesus. That was what we expect from one another. We hold one another to that account. And so it's all about going out. And when we go out, we're going into the various facets of society. You know, you think about your home life or your social circles or your workplace, even your online presence, if you have social media stuff going on. All of those things and more can be used by you to go and tell the good news of Jesus. So many options. The what, why, and how of the gospel. You know, come and see events that might be one or two per year. If you add in church on the Sunday, you're looking at 50 to 55 events per year. That's okay, but that's not it. Because when you go and tell, when see, even all of us here in this room listening to this just now, if all of us go and tell and use every opportunity that God gives us this week, I'd be willing to bet there's a thousand opportunities that we all have combined if we go out and say yes to God just in one week. Come and see is the big net. Go and tell is the relational, it's the personal, it's something that only you can do. I cannot do your evangelism for you. You cannot do mine. You can only reach people that only you can reach. And the same is the case for me. For example, you know, um, 
what ways can we go and tell? You know, it's, good, it's good to get practical examples, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we, we get ourselves so wound up about what evangelism is um, that we just don't do it because we're afraid. Uh, but here, here's a few things that I, I hope will just dispel some of those things and encourage you a little bit. Um, for example, go and tell. If you're hearing of a need, particularly at work or a family situation or something like that, a difficult situation, why don't you offer to pray for that person? If you can, do it on the spot. Say, for example, a work colleague having trouble in marriage or trouble with the kids or trouble elsewhere. Why don't you offer to pray, if possible, on the spot? Offer. Don't push yourself, but offer. And if most people, 95% of the time, will say, yes, please, I would love you to pray. Because by the time they're sharing with you, they are desperate, they need help, and anyone, they'll take help from anywhere. Um, and so that's a great opportunity. And so what you can do, even in your prayer, as sincere and genuine, and you're praying for that person, and you can say something like this in your prayer. For example, say, you, say you're, you know, you're dealing with someone who's got some ill health issues or something like that. You say, Jesus, I believe that you can bring healing and comfort to my friend, whoever they are. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Please bring that power and that comfort to my friend. Amen. You see what you've done there? You have prayed, you have ministered, you have shared the gospel. It's brief. You don't need to stress about it. You don't need to use jargon. You don't need to get preachy. Of course, you want to follow up later. You might say, I'm going to continue praying. Please let me know how it goes. You know, anything we can do to help you. But that's just one option. That's one possibility. Another, another possibility is, is, is sharing what I would call good quality gospel resources depending on who you're talking to. If someone has questions, you might need to give them a book. Uh, if someone has other needs, you might want to support them any other way. For example, um, uh, there's a colleague of mine at work who's going, go, went through a bereavement very recently, um, not a person of faith, um, but I, I sent through a, a YouTube of a song called Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And um, I just said, like, I don't know if you'll benefit from this, but I find it gives me great comfort uh, when I am going through periods of hardship. And so I send this to my colleague. Uh, the song preaches the gospel itself. I didn't need to say anything. And um, she said a few days later, thank you so much for that song. She said, I have listened to it nonstop since you sent it to me. I've also sent it to other members of my family. And uh, they have loved it as well. Now, praise God, you know, evangelism done. I, I revisit that, and I say, how are you going, and how can I pray? And, and, but it's just another option, isn't it? It's another way. Um, please, if you're sharing stuff online, don't go straight to the book of Revelation, or don't go into deep theology. Maybe that's for another day. But right now, just keep, keep to the simple, clear gospel. Christ, our hope in life and death, that kind of thing. Other ways you can do, go and tell. Open your life. Just open your life to your friends and your, your co-workers. They will see you all the time. They will watch you. Do lunch with them. Invite them to your house. As you open your life, then you will get opportunities to share your testimony, the work of God in your life. You can talk about church. You can tell them what God has done for you. Yes, sometimes you can say that all at once. Most often, it's bit by bit. You know, We work with colleagues for months or years at a time, bit by bit, sowing in the gospel seeds, trusting God for further opportunities. We can invite people to church. We can do lunch afterwards. We can go door to door. Whatever it takes, go and tell. Let's wrap things up. Um, we were discussing 
at our eldership training uh, program through the week, our vision for the church, the gospel transformation of our city and nation. And we're trying to understand it. We're trying to bring shape to this. And as as, as part of that vision, my, my hope is that we can shoot for six to 12 congregations across the city, small or medium-sized congregations, much like us, deeply rooted in the local community and yet linked together closely on mission so we can share resources and together we can influence the city for Jesus. That's where I think God is is focusing us and, and, and pointing us towards. And so hopefully you can see how evangelism is so key in the mission that God has sent us on speaking the good news, demonstrating its power. We need evangelists if we're going to see gospel transformation of our city. All of us, I think, uh, hopefully you come away with this, all of us have a role to say, come and see. And all of us have a role to go and tell. And yet within that mix, as we're all doing that as a community on mission, some will be powerfully gifted for even more fruit, even more effectiveness in evangelism. Let me end with these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. 